0: We are still in mission number six of chapter number six of the Ethics of the Fathers. Uh, you will be pleased to learn that this is the last chapter of the Ethics of our Fathers. I think we started studying it in 2017 or so. It's been a while. And uh, we're nearing the end, but we're going through these 48 ways to wisdom one at a time. And we're up to way number 16. And that is mute schora with limited commerce. Now, the next six of the ways in the 48 ways are all about different things that we must limit. So, way number 16 is to limit commerce. And way number 17 is uh, to limit carnal pleasure. And way number 18 is to limit general pleasure. And then to limit sleep and to limit chatter And to limit frivolity, there are six ways to wisdom that are limiting things. And the commentaries tell us that it says to limit these things, but not to eliminate them. And what that is instructing us is that we have to find the right balance between doing a little bit, but not having... These things take over your life. In all of these areas, they can become the central focus of a person's life. And it could dominate and overtake the things that are much more important. Yet, they're not completely bad and they're in fact necessary. And therefore, part of these ways to wisdom is to know the right amount, to strike the right balance between having these things in moderation, having a limited amount, not eliminating it entirely, but not having it take over your life, not having it dominate your life. We're here, of course, to do the will of the Almighty, to study His Torah, to do His mitzvos, to prepare our souls for eternity. Of course, we know this world is a corridor. It's a pathway towards Olam and we're here to work. And the Almighty makes it Meaningful by allowing all these distractions, by allowing the Yetzirah to operate in our world. And thus we have a struggle, we have a conflict, we have a constant war, in the words of Lasi Sharim, where we're constantly battling between looking at this world as a corridor or as an end unto itself. Our perspective, just by default, is that this is the only world that we see. We only see our body, we don't see our soul. We only see the physical world, we don't see the spiritual world. We don't know, in any empirical way, what happens after you die. The definition of the Almighty in the Talmud is roe ve'enonira, sees but is unseen. So what we perceive with our senses is this world. And therefore we're oriented to try to better our existence here. An idea of a future world—that's the 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 ballroom at the end of the corridor. That's a theoretical abstract idea, and that's the tension, and that's the conflict, and that's really what it all orients around. The Torah, the mitzvos are trying to optimize for the soul, optimize for the world of the soul. And the etzahara, the objective of the etzahara, is to make us ignore. What happens after we die to make us ignore the health and well-being of our soul? And instead to take this world that really should, should serve as a means, as a corridor, as a pathway towards the ultimate goal and to transform that into the end itself. That's what life really is all about. We have on one hand the soul and its viability and its permanent, eternal existence, and its world. And the Torah is really there to try to get us to recognize that and to live life in accordance with our principle. And then we have this monster on the other side, the Yetzirah. And the chief primary focus of the Yetzirah is to make sure that we live life here and ignore and don't pay attention and don't prioritize the world to come. Now, of course, the Yetzirah has some help by the fact that we only perceive with our senses, we only perceive physical sensations and physical experiences and physical pleasures, the spiritual pleasures. That's something you have to develop a taste for. And that's really what it's all about. And in these six things, these are kind of in this very unique space that they are necessary they are required, even for someone who's thinking about the future, even for someone who's orienting their life for the world to come, they need to have a little dose of it. But it is actually the stomping grounds of the Eight Sahara. And if they immerse themselves in it, it can quickly become an end unto itself. And that's why if you want to pursue wisdom, if you want to live life in a, in a spiritually enriching way, you have to be aware of these things and the required balance that's needed to make sure that it doesn't overtake your life. So we start off with Bemut S'chora with a little bit of business, a little bit of commerce. On one hand, it has to be limited. It has to be minimized. It has to be ensured that it doesn't overtake everything. But on the other hand, on the flip side, you have to do a little bit of it. You have to have some sort of means to provide for your temporary existence. And this is the principle. On one hand, we're told that, you know, to work, to make a living, to make a livelihood, to engage in commerce, to be a player in the marketplace of business, that's necessary. But it is a means and the means should not become the focus of your life. It shouldn't take over. And that is something which is a real risk because in pursuit of making a livelihood and having a career, it is something which can overtake everything. You know, your mind is your greatest asset. It's your greatest tool. It's your superpower. And if you have a knack for business, your mind can very much be engaged in the pursuit of business. And now your tool to live life and to prioritize your spiritual life, well, there's something there that's overtaking it. The brain power has now been redeployed and redirected towards something which is just a means, not an end. This is really dangerous. We're here to do the will of the Almighty. We're here to protect our soul, to purify our soul, to refine ourselves, to elevate ourselves, to live a spiritually enlightened life, to stockpile mitzvos so that we have what to consume in the spiritual world. And if we ignore that, instead we use our mind and our ability and our time and our attention and our focus towards other things Well, when we arrive at the spiritual world, we don't have what it takes. So it's very important for us to remember that the livelihood is a means. It's a necessary means. You have to do that to live. We don't believe that a person should say, well, I'm not going to make a living. I'm not going to get a job. I'll just sit around and hope someone pays for me. We don't believe in that. That's irresponsible. That's improper. But there's still a risk that the means becomes the end. Today, the way people introduce themselves, even the way they talk, well, what do you do? That's another way of saying, what do you do to make money to pay for your life? But it becomes their identity. This is something which we know. This is how the world works. And this is what our sages are warning us against. What do you do? We define that as what are you doing to improve your soul, to improve your standing as a soul, to prepare yourself for omaba? And the answer should be, well, I do mitzvos, I do kindness, I do charity, I study Torah, I emphasize my, my prayer, I try to bolster and burnish and, and further foster and develop a relationship with the Almighty. I made sure to avoid mistakes of character, to not allow the ether to take over, to not allow my behavior to run amok. That's what you do. That's what we should say, right? But what you do has become synonymous with what you do to make money to pay so that way your body can subsist in this world. The thing which is secondary, which is tertiary, became the primary. And this is what the Mishnah is warning us against. Limited commerce. Yes, a little bit. But in the right context, if it takes over your life, if it's what you do, then what you really ought to be doing, well, that's now secondary and tertiary. We have a limited amount of time in this world. We hope it's a long time, but we never know when our time here is over. And what are we doing with this precious time? What are we doing with it? Are we focusing on the means or on what we're really here for? We have a finite amount of attention. There's only 24 hours a day. and There's only a certain amount of themes you can focus on. Your brain power is limited. Now, it's a, it's a lot more than you think it is. Your actual brain power vastly exceeds what you think it is. That is true. But nevertheless, what are you dedicating it to? Most people, it's like, well, you live a life and you go to work the whole week so you can have a nice weekend to celebrate, to watch football, to drink with your friends, to binge on your favorite shows, and then you have maybe a vacation, four weeks, you go to Italy, you go to Europe, you go to the Far East, you travel to Antarctica, you go to Alaska, You can see people living a whole life, and the actual primary objective of life is never part of their routine. It's all the means, 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 and pleasure, pleasure in this world, pleasure, pleasure in this world. And that's a terrible tragedy. And that's what we're being cautioned here. Commerce is necessary. Business is necessary. These means are necessary. And you know what? Maybe relaxing a little bit is also necessary. It's important for you to, sometimes you need to unwind. So if that means a a cigar and scotch or whatever people use to unwind, if that's done in a calculated fashion, if that's a means, then that's also a mitzvah. But if a person's whole life is just means, 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 physical, physical, physical pleasure, what kind of life are they living? What are they doing to their soul? What will they have to show when they arrive in heaven? It's also true that business in particular can be very dangerous because it can, it can overtake your life. And then even your priorities that the whole world agrees ought to be priorities they get crowded out. How many people don't see their kids, aren't able to enjoy raising their children, to, Go don't get to experience real relationships because they're so busy with work? Our relationship with the Almighty is paramount. The first mitzvah of the Torah is to have a family, to have children. It's imperative for us to live in a community, The greatest mitzvah, of course, is Torah study. All those things can be deprioritized with too much of an emphasis on business, making money. It's potentially addictive. And too much of it, if it's unmoderated, unmitigated, uncontrolled immersion in business, then the greatest tool that we have for wisdom, our intellect, is now being deployed for the means. Our time has now been taken away by the means. Too much business will imperil the pursuit of wisdom. One of the most valuable questions that we can ask ourselves is what are we living for? What are you living for? And When you have an answer to that question, you want to compare that with what you're actually dedicating your time and your resources towards. Because no one says they're living to work, but in practice, what do people do? They actually live their life to work. That's really sad and unfortunate. How many people say, well, I'd love to have a family, but I first have to really establish myself in my career? No, maybe there's some truth to it. If someone, you know, if someone's not in the ability, if they don't have the ability to have a family, but they shouldn't. I don't know, but it does seem to me that there is the risk of of a of a of a prioritization totem pole, where the things that actually matter on a cosmic, existential, eternal scale are going to be overtaken by the things that matter less. Now, again, we know that work, that's necessary. Ever since Adam and his mistake or his choice, it became the reality of humanity. With the sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread. Before, beforehand, before Adam's sin, we're told that you could eat the bark of the tree. And that would taste exactly like the fruit of the tree. And without any work, you would have all your needs taken care of. And that serpent, the Dhamma tells us, if we didn't mess up, the serpent would be an incredible asset in our lives. It would have been fantastic. There would be no need to work. But now there is a need to work. And this is the challenge To do it in the right setting, in the right format, with right understanding, and position it properly, that it remains a means and does not overtake life. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to suggest that we should avoid upward mobility and we should work in industries or in jobs that don't pay well. I don't think that's the Torah way either. Look at what Isaac blessed Jacob with. Tremendous wealth. From the dew of the heaven and the fat of the land and lots of wine and lots of bountiful produce. We don't believe in in living in a mediocre fashion in any area of life. But the pursuit of business should always be a means and not an end. And yes, I do think... That uh, we weren't put here to be mediocre, and if someone is in business, to the degree that they are in business, they should invest their 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 time in it. But they should always know that ultimately this is for a goal. And there were people that would work every day just as much as you need for that day, and then you would stop so you could study the Torah the rest. And once I have enough money for for my day's needs, I'm um, I'm not stockpiling anything for tomorrow. The rest of the day, I'm going to go study Torah. That's an ideal. I don't know if we can aspire to that. At least we should be aware of it. But the principal, principle takeaway is commerce is important. It's critical. It's necessary. But it must be properly directed. Now, again, as we mentioned, all these things that are limited, limited commerce, et cetera, it's not just that we're told to limit it. But also, on the flip side, we're told that a little bit is okay, but in fact is desirous. So too much of it is harmful for our pursuit of wisdom. But a little bit, a little engagement in commerce is in fact desirable and beneficial for our pursuit of wisdom. Now, why would that be so? Why is a little bit of business important the pursuit of wisdom. So perhaps there are many answers to this question, but what we know for sure is that it's very rare to find someone who is totally disengaged from the general world. It's very hard to find someone like that who is advanced in wisdom. To really understand wisdom, understand Torah. It's important to understand human nature, to have a little bit of know-how and how the world works and how people work. And thus, if you want to truly advance in wisdom, you have to have a little bit of a foothold in the world and how it operates. There is this ideal of a absent-minded scholar who's just in in Talmud. And that's great. And there is something to be said about that. But there's an element of wisdom that they're not going to have access to unless they have a bit of, a, of an understanding in how the world works. So certainly, if someone wants to be a posik, if someone wants to be a halachic arbiter, you cannot render halacha if you are divorced from reality, from the world around us. Halacha, by definition, is the Torah's guidance for the real world. And of course, every area of our life is governed by Halacha. If you don't know how the real world works, if you're completely living in the stratospheres of Torah, well, then you are probably not going to be a very good halachic arbiter. To be a member of the Sanhedrin, you have to have a foothold in the world. And in general, we don't believe in ascetic monasticism, to divorce yourself from the world. To be a leader, you have to understand where your constituents are, what kind of life they're living. If you don't know what they're living through, you don't know what their daily life looks like, how could you possibly guide or direct them? The Tama tells us that the sons of the holy ones, the children of the holy ones, they were so removed from reality. They didn't even know what a coin looked like. They didn't know, is this a quarter? Is this a nickel? Is this a dime? I don't know. Is it 10 cents? Is it 25 cents? They were so removed. But the commentaries note that that description is talking about the sons of the holy ones. The real holy sages, their children, they didn't really have a a foothold in the world. But the holy ones themselves, you better believe they knew what those coins looked like. Because you would not be an effective leader if you did not know what those coins looked like. And it's true that the great sages, they studied everything. The of Vilna, he was an expert in everything, in all facets of wisdom. They say that he didn't study medicine, because if he would study medicine, he would know it so completely that he would be obligated to heal people all day and all night, and he would have no time to to study. But again, it's a it's a it's a value that we see amongst the greatest sages. They weren't divorced from reality. And this is the sweet spot. To be worldly, to be exposed to the world and how, how it works for everyone else. But to not be too much into it. And yes, there is an ideal of an absent-minded genius who's totally immersed in, in study. And that's great. And there's something to be said about that. But none of our leaders over the course of our history, none of them were like that. Because someone like that will have something missing. They won't understand human nature as well. They won't understand the world as well. And they won't be able to lead others as well. Now, This brings us to an interesting dilemma that I think parents and educators have. Of course, we want to teach our children about Torah. Torah and mitzvot. That is imperative. But how much to teach them about the world at large? So, I went to a yeshiva high school where they would have a full yeshiva curriculum, but they would also have a general studies component. So, We were in the state of New York, and New York has standardized tests for high school, the regents, and we all took the regents. And yes, I have a regents diploma. But the way they did it in the yeshiva, they would have, you know, 10 hours of Talmud study a day, and they would do two hours of uh, secular studies. A half hour or a day of uh, history and English and, and, and mathematics and science, and that's it. And then the yeshiva guys are bright enough to be able to pass the regents with just, you know, a much more truncated study. And this is very typical for yeshiva high schools in the United States. In Israel, the yeshiva high schools don't have, well, most of them, the overwhelming majority of the Shiva high schools do not have secular studies. Why? Because they do have secular studies in the elementary grades. But they have decided that it's more important once someone already reaches a degree of maturation for them to not have any exposure to the greater world And therefore, it's more important to to study Torah. Everyone would agree that it's much more important to study Torah. But there is a debate, and I think this really gets to this way to wisdom, way number 16, minimizing commerce. There is debate exactly what is the point where a little bit is the right – what's the sweet spot for a little bit? When do we say, okay, we've done a little bit and now we can stop? Should we go a little further? You even have post-high school yeshivos that have, let's say, a college program. You know, they would have yeshiva most of the day and they would have a college program. They partner with one of the universities and have a college program. What's the sweet spot? That's the debate. But everyone who agrees to the principle, the commerce, and in general, more broadly, the exposure to the world at large – it must be minimized. How much? Where exactly do you make the cutoff? That, of course, is the debate, but the principle is universally agreed upon. I remember I once emailed someone. He's a great a great Torah scholar. But I remember I, I emailed him a PDF. He didn't know how to open up a PDF. I'm like, ah, maybe that's a bit too much. Of a, of an insulated, uh, lifestyle to not even know how to open a PDF. I'm not judging, but maybe, uh, that, that, that kind of, I think maybe that should be, uh, you know, that should be, uh, someone who's living in the modern world. If you have an email address, you should know how to open up a PDF. But again, the, the principle is the same. There's a risk for this worldliness, for this commerce to take over your life, and that is the danger. There's another idea that some of the commentaries tell us in this way, minimizing commerce. And again, the, the flip side of that is to have a little bit of commerce. What's this little bit of commerce that is necessary as a way to wisdom? And that is that we should use... Principles of commerce in our pursuit of wisdom. Every morning, there's a blessing that we say called the blessing of the Torah. It's a mitzvah to study Torah. And before you do a mitzvah, you recite a blessing. And therefore, there's a, there's a blessing that we say upon the study of Torah. And what's that blessing? asok b'divrei Torah. To engage matters of Torah. But the word la'asot doesn't mean to study Torah. It means la'asot, which is used in the context of business to engage in business, in the business of Torah. So the commentaries tell us that it's important to treat the study of Torah like a business. And just as if you were to have a business, you would have a business plan, and you may have daily check-ins and weekly meetings and quarterly reviews and you have a pnl and you take it seriously manage your spiritual life in a way that you would a successful business take it seriously so this is perhaps another way to look at this idea of having a little bit of commerce perhaps that can be applied to our pursuit of all of a, to our pursuit of the agenda of our soul, a little bit of commerce, a little bit of the commercial methodology should be employed in order to make sure that we're not just bumbling around. We take it seriously. We have a plan, we have a goal. We look back and say, well, what did I accomplish today? What could be improved? What can be refined? What could be made better? If you treat your pursuit of wisdom like a business, then you will have much more success than if you just treat it as if some sort of hobby that does not need to be overseen. So this is way number 16, minimizing commerce. Our life here is about doing the will of the Almighty and preparing and positioning our soul for eternity. Making a living is necessary, but there is something seductive about business where it can take over your life. You need a bit of it, but if it dominates your life, if it takes it over, then the age old question of what are you living for, it'll be troublesome to answer. People ignore their family over their career. People ignore God because of their career. And of course, someone who does that, what do they have at the end? It's not a pretty picture. Way number 16, minimizing commerce, not allowing it to take over your life, but having a little bit of it, either because that's the proper frame of mind for advancing in your wisdom to treat it like a business, or because it's important to know how the world works and to have a little bit of a foothold, perhaps a toehold in the world. And of course, exactly where you fall out or where communities fall out, that is the debate within that framework. To have a little bit of a sense of how the world works and to not live life in the clouds. Way number 16, minimizing commerce. As always, my email address is Rabbi Walby at human.com. It was a great pleasure to study this way with y'all from the Torch Center in Houston. Texas. rabywalby@gmail.com is my email address. I look forward to your questions, your comments and your feedback.